Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Hi, Shep Hyken here with Amazing Business Radio on CBS, and I'm excited today because we are going to be talking with Connie Podesta. And when you hear what she has to say, you will say, I am glad that I am listening to Amazing Business Radio, because this is going to be an amazing episode. Connie, let me give you a little background on her. She is uh, an incredible author, award-winning author. She is an entrepreneur, an educator, a playwright, an actress, a comedian, a songwriter, an executive career and life coach, a radio and TV personality, and a therapist. And one of her popular books is Life would be easy if it weren't for other people. But today, we're going to be talking about the 10 things you need to stop doing before you die. Connie, welcome to the show. <laughs> it's great Hi, to have you. how are you? We are doing great. Thank you. And, and we're talking to you. You're in Florida right now. I am. I'm on vacation this week, which when you're in the speaking business, you know you're never really on vacation because you can kind of talk everywhere and do radio interviews everywhere, but it's gorgeous and the ocean is beautiful and it's been a great week. So. And we're talking today just like that. And I hope you're sitting on the beach while we're doing this interview. Just tell me well, you're sitting I'm, on the beach, I even if you aren't. It's awesome. The waves are gorgeous. Uh, having a little pina colada. Yeah, it's awesome. Oh, Just we're going to have a great here. show today. <laughs> <laughs> great. Well, give us a quick little background on yourself before we jump into the 10 things you need to stop doing before you die. Um, <laughs> oh, well, I, I've been speaking since junior high school. You know, I was competing in speech and drama and theater. And, and that was 10 years ago, right? Oh, yeah, that was like 10 years ago. And, in fact, uh, one of my favorite stories is I got kicked. I got suspended in high school for talking so much in class. And my dad was president of the school board, so uh, he was not a happy guy. And, um, you know, I remember when the, when the teacher kicked me out, he said to me, all you do is talk. You're never going to amount to anything. And I always think now as I talk to, like, 100,000 people a year all over the world, it's like, you know, I wish he could see me now because I know I was probably a pain for him, but I do want him to know that the talking did end up, you know, <laughs> having some benefit to the world, right? <laughs> There's a little difference between talker and speaker, but not much. It's it's semantics. You know, my uh, right. in college, I took a uh, speaking class, Speaking 101 or Public Speaking 101, whatever it was. Do you know that going into my final, I had an F? And uh, I couldn't believe it. And and the teacher said, you know, you're just a little more entertaining than you should be. Yeah, but look at look at <laughs> now. I know. See, that's what our audience is lost. Right. You know? like, it, he, my everybody used to tell me you're such a wise guy. You're a wise guy, and it's like, well, now the comedy and speaking and you know everything kind of comes full circle and. Um, the, the, one of the days when I was kicked out of this class, I'm standing in the hall and I'm very upset. I didn't want to be kicked out of school. And another teacher comes by, a young teacher, and he asked me why I'm crying. And I told him, and he said, so you talk a lot. And I go, yeah. And he says, you be in my office at three. So that afternoon, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm in trouble with somebody else. But I show up at his office, and he opens the door, and it's tryouts for the speech and debate team. And he said, if you're going to be talking all the time, let's turn your biggest weakness, what everyone else says is your weakness, and let me see if I can turn it into your biggest strength. And so that was kind of, I always remember that line. Like, you know, for some of us, some of our weaknesses 
you know, I think could be our better strengths if we just figure out how to use them in a different, you know, situation. The reality so of, guy, of yes, it was, yes. it wasn't a weakness. It was one of your strengths. It's just somebody right. viewed it as a weakness. Right. And, I uh, was using it in the wrong place. Right. <laughs> Well, and I think that's important. You know, one of the things, I, I love this book called Strength Finders, and one of the mm-hmm. things that's counterintuitive is that they say everybody, when you go to work, they figure out what you're great at and what you need a little help on, and so many times you focus on what you need help on and not what you're already great at. And totally. wouldn't right. it be great if you became even greater at what you were great at? And, I mean, that becomes yeah. your unique ability. It defines you. And for being a talker, yeah, you're definitely a talker. I've known you for a long time, and you don't <laughs> hold back. You talk. That's for sure. Well, I and I always say, I you know, people say, well, how do you find, you know, what you should be doing? And I said, I figure out what I'm really good at, and I figure out what I'm really bad at. And I go after the first, and I totally avoid the second. And I think sometimes when you can do that, it's just like what you're saying. You know, even in therapy, so many people can't come in and, you know, it's I don't do this, and I don't do that, and I don't do this. I'm like, okay, well, let's Tell me what you do do. Tell me what you love. Tell me what you're great at. Tell me what you're successful at. And and uh, we spend a lot of time with negative talk rather than positive. That's true. Well, today we're going to be talking about some things. It sounds like it's negative, but it's not. You know, things you need to stop doing before you die. That's a pretty provocative title, and I think it's going to give us well, some insight to yeah. your new book. The, the, the book is uh, 10 Things You Need to Quit Before You Die. And... Um, it's a book that I've been writing over the years and I'm just now putting together because as a therapist, you know, no one comes into your office. All my years of coaching and therapy and even speaking when people come up, no one ever comes in and goes, you know, I am a problem to everyone I come in contact with and I really need help. Never. You know, everyone comes into my office and they're like, look, this isn't about me. You know, it's the parents did this, the kids did this, my spouse, my friends, my clients, you know, everybody... It's like somebody else, something else is going on, and, and it's, it's what other people are doing and what they're doing. And so I started talking about, look, here's what you need to quit doing. And I finally came up, well, I really came up with 20 things you need to quit before you die, but for this show, we're just going to focus on the top 10. Well, that's good, because when, when the people love this, they're going to say, okay, I've got to have the other 10. And, right. I, you know, by the Definitely. way, first big lesson of the day <laughs> is is focus on your strengths, not on your weaknesses. And second lesson is recognize that what your strength is may appear to be a weakness to others. Uh, but now we're going to get into the things you need to quit. And I know I use the word stop doing. So quit is a, you know, if you can make two words into one, and we just did, it makes it even better. Right. So, yeah. you know, generally you hear that quitting is not good. But in this case, uh, you're, you're, as typical with Connie Podesta, we're taking the contrarian approach. Yeah, I like to be a little counterintuitive, and you'll find that in some of the things to quit. You know, I love listening to what other people say. You have to do this. I've always had very specific authority issues. I'll be the first to admit that. So anytime someone tells me you have to do this, you have to do this, I'm always thinking about, well, what if I did the opposite? What if I could make the opposite true? So. But yeah, quitting is seen, and we're told by a lot of people, don't be a quitter, you know, stick to it and, you know, keep things going. But I think oftentimes there's a lot of things we need to quit doing because they're getting in our way of of being as successful as we can be, as, as profitable, as healthy as we can be, and all those types of things. So 
These are things I think when everyone hears it, they'll admit, yeah, I probably need to quit doing that. That's not helping me at all be a better person. So, and what's the sign that we should look for to know it's time to start quitting something? Is it when somebody somebody says something to us, when, you know, we're feeling a certain way? Well, I think, um, you know, it, it's it's more about noticing, yeah, when you when you um, you're at a place where you're worrying all the time, when you you can't get when your relationships aren't in order, um, when you're waiting for things to change, when you're in a relationship that's hurting you physically, mentally, or emotionally, when you start worrying all the time, when you don't feel respected, when you feel trapped, you feel stuck, you want to enjoy life more, but make better choices. You know, all of these when you're when you're wanting something more, I think that's kind of how I describe it. You know, that moment when you wake up and go, okay, life isn't horrible, but this just doesn't, it doesn't seem right. Um, you know, something's a lot of nagging people wanna, at you. Yes. You know, a lot of people want to feel more confident. They want to be more proactive. They want to feel more in charge of their life. You know, all of these kind of things are signs to me when someone comes to me. I go, okay, let's talk about what you need to quit first. There's some things you're going to need to quit. And then we'll move on and start talking about the things you need to start. And one of the things is just quit whining about it. Do something about it. <laughs> I, I know I, 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 I'm, I'm trying to be funny about that, but sometimes it's true. I think that whether it's a spouse, a partner, somebody at business, if they hear you complaining about the same thing on a regular basis, and sometimes it's day in and day out, it's time to say, hey, well, what are you going to do about it? And many times right. it's not something that you need to do. It's something you need to stop doing. Right. So let's jump into it. What? Let's go for, you know, we've got 10 of them we want to cover in this short period of time. Uh, let's. What's number one? Wonder, number one, and, and like I said, I just tried for this show to put them in order of what I think is the most important. And I think number one, if you just quit one thing, this would be a really good start. And number one is quit avoiding reality. And it's probably we all do it. Um, you know, we we all look at life from a, a different perspective and different points of view. But And, and under that kind of is is quit avoiding uh, reality, is quit expecting life to be fair and quit being dishonest with yourself. And, you know, all of these little stories we like to tell ourselves, we don't really like to be honest with ourselves. It's kind of scary or it's hurtful or it's depressing or whatever it is. But, you know, when I was going for my degree in therapy and counseling, um, I had a background in what's called reality therapy. And for any of you listening, it's a great book. It was probably authored and published in the 70s, but it's control theory and reality therapy. They're written by a guy named William Blasser, and they're really amazing books, and they fit my personality. You know, you can in therapy be Freudian, and, and you can be Adlerian and all these different things, but reality therapy for me is we don't spend as much time talking about the past in your childhood. We really focus on now. You know, what is it you're doing now? Let's don't blame everybody in the past. Let's talk about the choices you're making now. So the first one is to quit living in the past and living in the future. And reality is what's going on now. And life isn't always fair and things aren't going to happen the way you want to. Um, it, it's kind of like at first you and I were talking and you asked if I was a motivational speaker. And I said, I really don't see myself like that because the typical motivational speakers kind of rah, rah, dream your dream. If you want it bad enough, you can have it. If you pull hard enough, if you have the right attitude. And to be honest, 
um, I don't really believe that. I don't think we can all have everything we want just if we believe in it strong enough. I think there are going to be things in life that no matter how much we want them, pray for them, coach for them, put our little subliminal message, put our pictures and our visionaries on the refrigerator, I think there's going to be things that, for whatever reason, we are not going to be able to do. And for me, reality therapy is helping people learn how to cope when life doesn't go the way they want it. How That to me is character. Character is how do you choose, what do you do, how do you react when life is so far from what you had planned that you can um, barely breathe. Right. The reality is... Go ahead. Oh, I, I say I'm glad you made the point, you know, it just because you want it and you dream it, even as much as you do, writing it down every day doesn't make something happy. Hey, I'm in my 50s, not in my even barely mid-50s, so I, I figure I'm not even halfway home, yet I'm not going to be the professional hockey player that I thought I might want right. to be growing up. Uh, I, I, I know I want to lose 10 pounds. Well, of those two, one can be a reality, and the other right. one is like, okay, you're probably a little over the hill uh, to do that one uh a bucket list type thing, but it really isn't a bucket list. It's, it is just a dream, and sometimes uh, you can't have everything you want. And I like that. Uh, life to me, you know, I'll argue with you that life may not appear to be fair, but it is what you make of it. So you can make it really, really fair if you have the right attitude about it. Um, could be, but you know, I think what I mean by life isn't fair is no matter how hard we try to do the right thing. Sometimes life just steps in and it's not what we had planned and it's not what we wanted. In that moment, it doesn't seem fair. Whether someone dies a little earlier or someone's in an accident or you lose a job. And, And so when people just come to me, that's one of the number ones they say is this wasn't fair. And I always say, you're right. You know, at at this point, looking at it the way you do, it doesn't seem fair at all. And then I move into what you say. But but what are you now going to do about that? Right. Um, I mean, I know I'm dealt cards all the time, and some of them are good and some of them aren't so good. And really, and you just summed it up, what are you going to do about it? You know, right, right now it appears to be a certain way, so what are you going to do about it? And sometimes it needs someone like you to shake us up to remind us that's the way we need to think. So the first one is quit avoiding reality. You really have to look at yourself. You know, this is what you're capable of. This is what you can do. Here's the money you have right now in life. Here's what's going for you. You know, really take a real close, honest look at yourself and face reality. Because if you're not really being honest with yourself, you can't create, you can't make a plan. You can't find a solution because everything's based on dishonesty. So that's number one. That's number one. And what we're going to do is we've got nine more, and we're going to cover them when we get back. We're going to hit a few more of these points. We are with Connie Podesta. We're talking about the 10 things you must quit before you die. My name's Shep Hyken. This is Amazing Business Radio. We'll be right back. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. You're listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. We're back at Shep Hyken here with Amazing Business Radio on CBS, and we're hanging out with Connie Podesta. We've just talked about number one is in the list of 10 things you must quit before you die, and that was to quit avoiding reality. Connie, what's number two? 
Number two is quit waiting to be happy. You know, this was always the other thing. And and I think uh, my, my latest book is on happiness, and, and it's called Redefining Happiness. And really what I'm saying here is that in all my years of counting and coaching 30 years, most people are waiting to be happy. They're waiting for things to happen. You know, when I find my soulmate, that one person that, you know, loves me, when I lose my weight, when I get my promotion, when I make more money, when I buy my house, you know, it, most people see happiness as a result. You know, when I get this, this, and this, then I will be happy. And what I have found in the past 30 years is that's really backwards. Uh, happiness really isn't a result. Happiness really has to come first. And for a lot of people, they're like, what do you mean? How can I be happy if I, if I don't have someone to love? How can I be happy if I'm overweight? How can I be happy? And I said, because happiness really is the catalyst. It's not the result. It's the catalyst. If you are unhappy, you won't lose the weight, most people, because a lot of eating is tied into depression and sadness and unhappy and anger and all sorts of emotions that, that cause people to want to eat. If you're unhappy, you're not going to need a healthy, a healthy, happy soulmate, because when you're unhappy and miserable, healthy people really don't want to be around you. And when you're unhappy, you're not going to get the promotion because nobody wants you to leave them. And when you're unhappy, you're not going to make more money because no one's going to hire you to do the job. So in this state of unhappiness, we've pretty well eliminated our ability to get all of the things that we think we need to have to be happy. So one quick tip, how do we turn mm-hmm. it around? If we're not happy, what's one way to start to be happy? Well, the first thing is to be aware of it. Um, because now I am miserable and unhappy and I hate life and I'm griping and I'm negative all the time, I will never get anything I want. That's the first to at least go back to number one and, and, and be realistic, quit avoiding reality. The reality is as long as you're unhappy, you're not going to get these things. And then people say to me, well, Connie, if I just tried to be happy, it would be phony. And my answer always is, I'll, phony's fine. Uh, I'll take phony. I think some people have to be phony in terms of acting happy and pretending to be happy um, for them to even start on the road of getting what it feels like to be happy. Kind so like I always tell my audience, yeah, and, and I tell my audiences, I say, I get emails saying, you know, if I were like you, I would be happy all the time too. And I said, but, but my audiences don't know anything about me. I've been through divorces and kids being sick and had health issues, and I, I, my life is like everyone else's, but when they say, and here's Connie Podesta, and they hand me the microphone, um, I have to, I have to be happy on stage. But the cool thing about it is once you start it, it starts, our brains are really good. Our brains really kind of go along with the thoughts that are prominent in our mind. And then our brains kind of encourage our body to go the same direction. So once we start kind of faking it or acting like it, we start maybe not having to eat as much and losing weight, or we start attracting people that are nicer to us and kinder and more respectful of us. And, and then all of a sudden, we're not faking it anymore. You know, we're, we're truly happy. Um, but I also think one of the things is people have to fight. You know, I always ask my audiences, I'll ask you now, Chef, do you think people deserve to be happy? I, I think that they, I mean, yeah, everybody deserves okay. to be happy. But See, and my answer is no. But I, I totally don't think people deserve to be happy. And when I say this to my audiences, they kind of sit there like, what do you mean? And let right, me I want to know what you mean. It. Yeah, okay. I see deserve as entitled. 
Okay, deserve means, and so let me reword the question. Do you think everyone deserves to be happy no matter what choices they make, no matter how they treat other people, no matter what they do to themselves? No, um, no, and think, no. <laughs> okay, so we, we aren't entitled to happiness no matter what we do, what we choose, how we treat people. Even the Constitution doesn't guarantee us the right, the, the ability or to happiness. It guarantees us the right to go after it. And so one of the things I say to my audience is get rid of the fact you're entitled to it. You're not. Happiness is not something that is a birthright of ours. But happiness is there for all of us to go after. And the problem is, well, let me ask you a question, Chef. Have you ever lost anything? that's been important to oh, sure. a person, a, a, a purse, job. Definitely, okay. yep. And so all this listening, everyone's lost something. And when you lose something, the go-to emotions are sadness and anger. Those would be the two psychological go-to emotions. You're either sad, depressed, grieving, or you're angry, uh, mad, you know, addictive, bitter about what's happened. And, and that's, that's understandable. Those are legitimate emotions. But what happens with, with a healthy people is when we have a loss, like a year ago, my house burned down and we lost everything. So I'm very sad and I'm very angry. But with a healthy person, we experience a loss of a job or money or promotion or person. We feel sadness, we feel anger, but we never allow those emotions to take over our entire personality. We never allow those emotions to define us. But unhealthy people, they take a loss and they feel those emotions, and those emotions become them. Now, instead of having a loss and being sad about it or angry about it, they now are a sad or an angry person. And that's that's where people go on a different path. And I always say, have you ever had anyone in your life that's sad and angry about something that happened to them? Of course, everybody has. Okay. And when you try to talk them out of it, when you try to tell them, let's take a walk, let's go to a movie, let's, uh, you know, what do they do? do Always you ever an had excuse. Any... They, they push they... back and, and, you know, it's sometimes you just almost feel like you're doing an intervention to get them right. to do anything. Well, that's most people. Most people who have allowed the sadness and allowed the anger to define who they are, they will fight you on any attempt to make them happy. In fact, they'll say things like, I am sad, I have a right to be sad, and they'll be crying. Or they're like, I am angry, you don't know what it's like. And we call that in psychology, fighting for your limitations, meaning that they are literally fighting against happiness and fighting to keep the sadness going or to keep the anger going. And what I say to all my audiences and and the people listening today is, as a therapist, my my greatest wish for mankind is that people would fight as hard for their right to be happy as they fight for their right to be sad or fight for their right to be angry because no one's fighting as hard for happiness. I I think that's so spot on and you say it well. You know, we could probably spend the entire time on the show oh, yeah. talking about happiness, on. but we've got we've got eight more now. So, uh quit waiting to be happy is number two. Number three? Quit getting in your own way. And this is the next thing that I see people do. I mean, oh my goodness, people can talk about their parents or their life or society or everything. And really, after about an hour, I say to them, no one is worse to you than you are. You know, the self-talk, the negative talk, the criticism that are inside of most of our minds, the their own insecurities, their own doubts, their, you know, their own lack of 
of confidence, their own inability to want to try new things. So the, the number three is just quit getting in your own way. Quit complaining, quit whining, quit being negative, quit quit not trusting your own instincts, um, quit being afraid of being afraid, you know. Um, and back to what you said earlier, even if you have to fake it a little bit, you got to look in the mirror and say, you know what, I feel great today. I feel great today. Even though you're you're pushing it, your brain is going to start to do something and react to that comment and try to make you feel a little better than you currently feel. And, right. Uh, yeah, so getting which, in your own which, way. Well, it leads us into four, which goes right along, and that's quit the drama because, you know, there's, again, there's a lot of people and some listening who grew up with a lot of drama. You know, a lot of people that grew up in what we would call more of an unhealthy, dysfunctional home. There weren't predictable rules. There weren't consequences. Um, There was maybe some sort of abuse, physical or verbal or emotional. Maybe there was neglect. You know, but when you grow up in a home with a lot of drama, you know, neglect or yelling, hollering, uh, calling names, putting people down, that becomes kind of what you're used to. And there are a lot of people who literally create drama in their own life. You know, they take everything personally. They get their feelings hurt. They, um, you know, they, they're looking for things. They're almost setting up arguments. They're almost waiting. You know, there's a lot of people who don't feel that they deserve to be loved. And so they're always testing people or doing things. And, and then when the person finally leaves, they go, see there, you know, I knew they wouldn't stay with me. I knew, I knew they didn't love me. So drama in a relationship, um, you know, people say, well, Connie, but marriage is hard and raising. Yes, it, it is. But there should be really good times, too. Right. There, That's there good be, drama. Right. So there should be good times and sensible times and loving times. And, and the drama should be once in a while. And even then, it shouldn't be so much drama as it is. People are disagreeing. They're trying to figure it out. But So not wanting the drama, not setting yourself up look at yourself and say, am I creating drama? Am I setting people up? Am I asking for this? Am I fighting when I could just walk away and let it go? Um, What am I bringing into life? Um, For a lot of people, drama is passion, and they want this excitement and passion, and when they don't have the drama, they almost feel bored. And it's not boredom, it's often contentment, but trying to understand the difference between those. Wow. It's hard for some people. Every single one of these points we could spend the entire show on, which is, yeah. uh, I mean, they're so spot on. We're going to be right back, and we have six more we're going to cover uh, of the 10 things to quit before you die. We've been talking with Connie Podesta. My name's Shep Hyken. This is Amazing Business Radio. Don't go away. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. We're back. The Shep Hyken here on Amazing Business Radio with Connie Podesta. We're talking about 10 things to quit before you die. We've just covered the first four, which are uh, quit avoiding reality, quit waiting to be happy, Quit getting in your own way, and boy, I love this one. Quit the drama. And so we're going to get into number five. So what's number five? Number five is quit avoiding crucial conversations. Oh, you know, I'm scared of those. Is, I'm scared of crucial I, well, conversations. Well, I know. Are you? Most people <laughs> are. And, uh, 
here's the deal. Uh, you know, I try to tell my audiences, the brain is really uh, very, very complex, and yet in some ways it's extremely simple. And the brain really works that, you know, there's there's only three ways to give feedback, and that's positive, negative, or to ignore, choose to give no feedback. And so every time you're with another person, you're doing one of these three. There, There is no other way. And the brain is pretty good. When when we say something or do something, our brain watches the reaction. So if you and I, Chef, are in a conversation and we're on a date or we're working together, whatever our relationship should be, and I say something to you or I do something, my brain watches your reaction. And if you give me a positive reaction, I will probably in all likelihood do that again because that's what we want is positive. If you give me a negative reaction, the chances are I will not do that behavior again. But if you ignore me, you know, that's a whole, you know, different different ball game. That is a choice, ignoring behavior. And um, I would imagine if I, it, you know, sometimes sometimes the, it's tough to say the negative critical thing, and sometimes we fake it and say the positive thing even when it's not positive, yes. and that turns that crucial conversation into nothing more than uh less than reality TV here. It's, it's, it's not the truth. And Well, and when you ignore something, people generally read it as positive. So let's mm-hmm. say you're my boss, Chef, and I'm working for you, and, and I come in late, or I turn a project in late, or I talk to somebody, a uh, customer on the phone, and I don't talk respectfully. You know, if there's any things I do, even tiny, and you give me positive feedback, of course I will do it again. And by the way, a paycheck is positive feedback. So every time you pay me money, then you're telling me that the way I acted as an employee the last couple of weeks was fine. If you give me negative feedback, um, the chances are I won't repeat the behavior. But if you ignore me, if you ignore the fact I turned something in late or came in late or didn't talk to somebody, our brains really read that as positive. So if you ignore a behavior, the other person generally says to themselves, oh, that's great. Uh, let's do that again. And you can see then why quit avoiding crucial conversations is, is important because if you ignore telling me something as your child, as your wife, as your date, as your employee, as your customer, and my brain says, do that again, well, the next time I do that behavior, you're now partnering with me. You're now complicit in that behavior because the fact that you ignored it and didn't say anything to me you gave me permission to do it again. I enabled you. Yep. Which is another word. Well, even, yeah, I mean, you, you allowed it, you gave me permission, and, 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 and let me give you a little example. Let's say I can't, let's say for three years I've never been late to work, and today I'm late by 20 minutes. The average boss would ignore that, probably, right? Right. You'd say, good employee. Happened one time, big deal. Right. But if I were to come late the second time, would you ignore it the second time? Probably not. Why? Because I don't want it to become a habit. Okay. So the bottom line is, let's look at this, Chef. You didn't really ignore it the first time. You counted it. You kept score. You just didn't tell me you were keeping score. Uh, And then when the second time came, now you're going to come down on me. Right. See, that is probably the most unfair thing managers and parents and people do. They say they're ignoring it. But you're not. Most behavior we ignore, we're not ignoring it at all. We're keeping score. We're mad. We're upset. We're hurt. But we just don't tell the other person that we're keeping score. And then when it happens again, now we're really ticked off. So the, the right other thing person to do is, no idea. is bring it up and say, hey, I noticed you were late today. 
I know that's not typical. Yeah. Uh, right. You know, I just appreciate all the times you are on time. And yeah. uh, that just says, oh, he noticed. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, that's a little too positive. I would say something like, you know, um, Connie, I noticed you were late today. If something's happening in your personal life that's going to cause you to be late, you need to make an appointment. Let's figure it out. If this is a one-time thing, that's okay, one time. But from now on, I need you to be uh, punctual. So that's kind of how uh, professional negative sounds. I brought it up that I noticed you were late. I did allow that if there's something going on, come and talk to me about it. If not, then I need to see you again. So I didn't rant on about how great they were and how awesome they were because that sends it to the positive. So I pretty well just, and that's a crucial conversation. Here's what happened. Here's what I need. Here's what needs to happen. If it's one time, okay. If not, then from now on, I'll see you again. Boy, I need to have you come and work with me. Uh, and, and sandwiching. And, and, and have you ever some, heard of sandwiching? Yep, exactly. And oh, my, when I, yeah, okay. when I, I was a kid, my uh, one of my teachers was really great at really just telling us the crucial, honest feedback we needed to hear, but then somehow said something to make us feel better about making it right no. next time. No, no, no. No? Sandwiching is like one of the sickest things in the world. We say something great, and then we sneak in the negative, and then we say something great. Oh my goodness, Shep, you're an awesome interviewer. You're amazing. Now you really need to, you know, ask better questions. But you're one of the greatest interviewers. That's how sandwiching sounds, right? Mm-hmm. But no, it's because we're afraid. If you do something great, I need to tell you you're great. With no buts added on. Just, this is great, awesome. This is great, Shep. You did this. And if you do something that's not great or we need to stop it, then I need to tell you that. We need to be strong enough. Sandwiching is just a chicken way. And and what happens is if you say something positive and slip a negative and say something positive, which one did your brain read the most? Right. They it's the, the it's what positive. they want. They want that positive, so they're right. going to focus on that. And they don't and, even hear. Right. Yeah, they won't even hear the negative. Okay, we need to get on. The next yes. one is quit multitasking. Oh, my goodness. If I can be everyone's therapist just listening. Multitasking, I think, is probably one of the most damaging things. And now it's almost seen as a strength. Like, oh, I can do 20 things at once, you know. Um, latest surveys and research are showing absolutely not. It's not how our brains are set up. And what happens is you start Project A and you're into it, and then all of a sudden you start Project B. Your brain has to move out of Project A move over and get geared up again for Project B. And then when you move back to A, it's got to get off of Project B, gear up again for the energy and the time and the thoughts. What they're saying now and what I'd say to everybody is just do something. Stick to it. Do it. Finish it. You know, do it. Put all your focus and your energy and your time and your effort and your skills and your everything that you have into to finishing it. If you decide you can't finish it, then set it aside, okay, and then move to something else. But trying to answer the phone and text and Facebook and email and brush your teeth and, you know, cook dinner at the same time is pretty well taking away our productivity. It's not adding to it. Right. I mean, it's it's like, you know, you do one thing really, really well and do five things very mediocre. Uh, right. I'm going to choose. And it comes to your balancing career. If you and I are married, I need to go cook dinner, then come and sit with you, and then maybe go over and read my childhood book. What happens is we're doing so many things that no one feels that we're giving them attention. Right. Number seven. Uh, (laughs) 
Okay. Quit setting goals. I see this in my notes. Okay. <laughs> Come on. I'm a goal setter. I'm, I'm a speaker. This is what I learned when I was young. At, at 23 years old, I went and saw Zig Ziglar, See You at the Top. And it was all about setting goals. Okay. Here's my problem with goals. Okay. And first of all, if you are a goal setter and it's working for you and doing amazing things, then I then keep on. I mean, I'm never going to take away something that someone's doing. But I guarantee you, Chef, at least at least half of the people listening are like me. Goals for me are the worst that I've never set them, never done them, never intend to do them, never want to do them. And so for all the people listening that have keep hearing that setting goals is the right thing, I'm taking them off the hook and I'm giving them permission that they and telling them that they're fine, stop worrying about it, stop berating yourself and being tough on yourself. I'm a person that I think is very successful in what I do, and I've never set a goal in my life. What about creating, I mean, businesses have plans, they have budgets, they have numbers. How do you get away from saying, look, we need to make our numbers, and here's how we're going to get there? Okay, and you're totally right. There are some things in business that we need to make this number, we need to stick to this budget. But I'm looking more at life goals. You know, I'm looking more, when I say don't set goals, you know, I'm being a little you know, um, kind of creative out here with my word. Here's my problem with setting goals is that, number one, if you set a goal, you're limited by what you think about yourself. That's the first problem. In other words, you, Shep, none of us have a total reality of ourselves. So most people are either overestimating themselves or they're underestimating themselves. I have very few people in the world that are dead on accurate. Don't you see that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, if you're overestimating or underestimating yourself, your goals are going to reflect that. So a lot of people have set goals that are way over because they haven't had a realistic look at themselves. And if you set goals that you've overestimated, then you feel like a failure because you never reached them. If you set goals that you've underestimated yourself, then you've never set limits for yourself. You've never stretched yourself. So that's one of the problems. And the second is when we set goals, um, like I want to be vice president of a company before I'm 30. A lot of people set goals, and it's only based on the knowledge you have about the world. Um, you know, there's so many things out there that we don't even know. And so when we're setting goals, it kind of limits us to what we know about the world. Um, one of my stories is when I was standing in line uh, registering for college, you know, I thought I should be a, 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 an administrator. I've been teaching school. The next goal was to be an administrator. And I'm standing in this long line with, you know, people, and the line next to me is they're in sweatshirts and jeans, and they're talking, and they're laughing, and I just seem to fit that group. And I said, what are, what are you guys doing? And they said, well, this is counseling, and you ought to come with us. And I did. Even though I, if I had set a goal to be an administrator, I would have never switched lines, because that's my goal, and I would have stuck in the line. But because I don't set goals, I can wing it. I can shoot from the hip. I can kind of, any time a window opens or a door opens or a little opportunity opens, I'm not stuck with something that I've gone after. So I just switch lines. Well, I, I think moved over into another line. Great. And I'll, and I'll say everybody's entitled to their own opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Especially totally. on this one, totally. because I'm totally. struggling. I get what you're saying. I get the limitations. I get that we don't want to limit ourselves. I get that sometimes our our knowledge of the world limits our potential. Uh, but at the same time, I'm one of these people that I like to stretch a little bit. I think I know what what realistic is. Push it a little bit. See if I can get beyond that. I don't 
uh, do something I call gap out when if I, you know, to put it in the most simplistic terms, if I set a goal of losing 10 pounds in the next 10 weeks and I only lose eight, do I call myself a failure or do I, or because of those two pounds that I didn't lose? Or, uh, and, I, and that's called the gap. Uh, my friend and coach Dan Sullivan calls that the gap. Do I gap out or do I celebrate the eight pounds that I would have lost had I never started doing this in the first place? So, well, here's the cool thing. Half the audience listening are just like you. So for all of you that are like Shep, don't even listen to this last piece I did. <laughs> if goals, no, if goals are working for you, great. However, Shep, there is such set goals that everyone's telling us we have to. And what I want to talk to are the people listening who are like me. So recognize the people like you are great with goals. Great with goals. There's people like me that they frustrate us, they tie us in, they feel claustrophobic, they lock us in. So for all of you listening like me, it's okay. You now you have can permission. Still be successful. You have permission to live it the way you do. Can we both agree to that? That whatever right for us, that's the way we should go. I love it, and I do agree. And we are going to be right back. So everybody, don't go away because we come back. We have the final three and the list of the 10 things to quit before you die. We've been talking with Connie Podesta. My name's Chef Hyken. This is Amazing Business Radio. We'll be right back. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. You're listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. We're back on Amazing Business Radio talking to Connie Podesta, and we have three more things to quit before you die. What's number eight? Quit helping other people fail. Um, and, you know, rescuing and be codependent and making excuses for other people and allowing people to get away with things that they shouldn't get away with. And kind of goes back to that, you know, crucial conversations. And, uh, you know, you had already talked about codependency, you know, lying for people. Most of us have somebody that we're lying for, we're expecting less, we're giving up on them, we're making excuses for them, we're rescuing them. You know, and all of those things help other people fail. Um, you know, one of the reasons why we all do better is because there's a consequence. And again, let's go back to how some of our times our brain is so simple, we can't hardly believe it. You know, the brain basically is set up that when we do something right or good or successful, there's generally a reward. And when we do something that's stupid or unhealthy or silly or ridiculous or, you know, self you know, harmful to ourselves, then there's a consequence. And that's such a great way to go through life, that there's rewards when you do something good and there's consequences when you don't. And so what happens is, is when we start to rescue other people and make excuses and take care of them and lie for them and, you know, start paying their speeding tickets or doing their science projects for our kids, you know, all those things that we do to save them from having to have a consequence, what we're doing is taking away the absolute number one best thing that's going to help them grow up to be a successful, responsible, uh, independent human being. Right. And I think if you go back and look at your number five on the list, which is to uh, quit avoiding crucial conversations, helping yes. other people fail and, and quitting uh, and avoiding conversations that are important are mm -hmm. probably hand in hand. Oh, totally. I mean, all and, and all of them, you know, quit avoiding reality. This person maybe is an addict or maybe they're verbally abusive. Maybe they need to go get a job. You know, it, it, 
we're not helping people by allowing them to fail. In fact, we're helping them fail when we start doing the work for them. And a lot of this is I talk to parents, you know, your kids need a few Fs and they need some zeros and maybe they need to sit out a game or two. You know, they need to pay their own speeding tickets. They need to save some money. You know, us, us helping our kids so that they never, ever fail anything is, is definitely what's making them feel that they don't have to push. They don't have to, you know, have tough times. They don't have to figure out their own solutions. And um, They have to ultimately you know, we, learn how to deal with it. Yes. And well, you have to, if you don't turn in your homework, you get a zero. That's the way it is. You know, if you if you aren't responsible and, and make decent grades, then you may have to set out the game and be on the bench Saturday night. And those are the ways that we learn at work, back to the crucial conversations. If you don't turn something in on time, then there's going to be some sort of feedback. Someone's going to say, I needed it on time. It was, this isn't acceptable. And, and if we could start doing that, rewarding good behavior and giving consequences that are fair, there are consequences to behavior that we don't want to improve. We would have a lot more um, people accountable. You know, we have the number one thing that my companies want me to speak on now is accountability. And I say that, you know, let me speak to your management team. Accountability with employees starts with the managers creating a situation where employees have to be accountable for doing the right thing. And there's, there's rewards that they do and consequences that they don't. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Number nine. Quit trying to die. Well, that's harsh. You know, I hope I'm not I, well, trying to I die. Know, I know it's harsh, but I'll tell you, and, and I'm a little bit older than you, you know, you and I know as, as people get older, um, you know, uh, just for example, the way people eat. You know, we, we have so many chronic illnesses, and everyone wants to say, well, it's genetics, and you know, this is just because I'm getting older and, and no one again wants to take responsibility. Quit trying to die means quit making unhealthy choices about your life. Um, you know, eating and processed foods and eating junk. Um, they, I just read a survey yesterday in a book I was reading, a health book, that said that the average person now, only 5% of their daily intake is fruits or vegetables. 5%. You know, you think of what else is there. And I'm very much a high nutrient, not so much calories, but, you know, nutrient foods are foods that have vitamins and minerals and fiber. They're things that make our, our bodies grow. It's like going to school and learning things for our mind, nutrients. And so every time you eat a food where there's no vitamins, no minerals, and no fiber in it, your body's still having to digest it. Your, your, you know, everything, pancreas and liver and everything has to work, and yet it's getting nothing in return. You know, it's like we've made it work without paying it back. Yeah. And so the body's still, so, you know, and, and sleeping, sleeping is huge and exercising. And, and so when I say quit trying to die, it's that we have got to start taking care of ourselves. So that we can live. Um, one of my goals, yes. and, and we're going to go back to goals, but let's just say it's kind of like, <laughs> let's not even call it a goal. Let's just say, wouldn't it be cool if I could play golf on my 100th birthday? Mm-hmm. And, and I don't just throw that out there and say that would be cool. I think to myself, what do I need to do to make that happen? Right. And, and so exactly. when I get up in the morning, I exercise. And I probably do this four to five times a week minimum, uh, usually more. But I know that if I plan to exercise and I get up in the morning and I said, you know what, I just don't feel like it, I am making a conscious decision not to play golf on my 100th birthday. Yep, yep. 
So quit. And it's it's hard as I travel because I was in the buffet line, you know, a couple months ago, and it was just all horrible food, you know, fried. And and so I was picking out tomatoes and and lean chicken, and then there were some vegetables, and you know, I was just trying to pick out the healthy stuff. And the woman behind me was was quite large, and she looked at me and she said, "Why do people thin like you eat that way?" And <laughs> I had to, and I was like, "I I think you have it backwards." Exactly. You know? it's, it's it's not that I'm thin and then I eat this way. It's like it's because I eat this way, and so I just I think you know I look at people, don't you? As we get older, and so many of them are so unhealthy, and they're making bad it, choices. Or not, well, or not, or not even. It's not that they're making bad choices. They've chosen not to make good choices. Yes, and uh, you know, the latest survey I read said that you know, like almost seventy-five to eighty percent of all illnesses after age sixty are life choices. They're not. You didn't catch something. You know, they're not. Um, you know, they say that third world countries are malnutrition. Okay, because lack of food. We're one of the few countries that the average person is malnutrition. You know, they they are they are undernourished because of an excess of food, right. and that the wrong you know food. that's really sad. The wrong kind of food, sleeping, eating, exercise. Just oh my goodness, take care of yourself. You know, put yourself, which leads us right into number ten, which goes along with this. And number ten is quit putting yourself last. And when you don't take care of yourself physically, you put yourself last. But you know, I always kind of say I I try to love myself more than anyone else. And then, of course, the people in the audience go, that sounds terrible, that sounds selfish. But, but the reason why is I try to take care of myself first, and not in a selfish way, but I try to, to take care of me, myself physically and take care of myself mentally by reading and learning and take care of myself emotionally by, you know, having the right kind of conversations and, you know, not being so tough on myself. Because if you and I aren't healthy people emotionally, physically, and mentally, then we can't be good spouses, and we can't be good parents, and we can't be good friends, and we can't be good speakers on stage that are motivating other people. So, you know, a lot of people put themselves last, and then they end up not being good for anyone. Right. You spread yourself too thin. You, you, you know, I, I guess if you look at all of the first nine that we've talked about, uh, in a sense, if you practice any of these, you're not putting yourself first. And I know that may sound a little egocentric, but the way you put it, it's not. It's like, I want to be the best person that I can be so that I could be the best person to other people. Yeah. And that's what I tell people. I said, they said, I just couldn't live with that, but I have to love myself first. And I'll say, well, do you want to love your kids? Do you want to love your spouse? Do you want to be a good friend? Do you want to be a good person in your church? And you're, yes, 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 yes. And I said, then it, that has to come first. If you're miserable, unhealthy, uh, angry, sad, you know, a negative, if, if you're any of these people, if you're not making good decisions for yourself, then there's no way you can be the best of anything to anyone else in your life. And I want to be a really good mom, and I want to be a good spouse, and I want to be a good friend, and I definitely want to be a good speaker that can get on stage and, and really, you know, make people laugh, but also touch people so that they can change. But the only way I can do that is to take care of myself, my mind, my body, my, my emotions, keep, keep doing the best I can for me so that I am there to be the best for everyone else who depends on me or is learning from me or looking up to me. 
Well, you've done a great job in summarizing these 10 things to quit before you die. We're just about out of time, and I always like to wrap up is, you know, let's sum it all up. Um, one thing, what should I start doing tomorrow in order to stop doing what I shouldn't be doing? Um, probably the reality, that's why I put that first right now, is just take a really good look at, at you and what you're doing. I kind of think the first and last, you know, stop putting yourself last. And, and you know, if you look at reality and see what, what you are capable of, what, what's there for you right now, not that you're not always wishing better, and you stop putting yourself last, um, you know, I think once you start taking care of yourself, then the world looks at you. Um, you can't change anyone else. You know, that's what, that's one of the other things that we didn't get to is quit changing other people. No one will change because you love them or you want them to, or you nag at them or you whine or you withdraw affection from them. And the only reason why people change is by watching us. So they watch us when we're on stage and they watch us when we're at a game and they watch us, you know, how we relate to our families and, and people are watching everyone that's listening. You know, people say to me, Connie, I could never do what you do. I could never be on stage. But I tell everybody, but, but you're all on stage, right? Everybody listening, Shep, is on stage. Right. You're so the always, minute you leave like your you're house, always you're selling. on stage. You're always putting yourself right. out there. And, and uh, if, you know, I, wanna, I want you in my office to depend on me. I need to be able to sell the trust, if you will. Right. And uh, so all good information. How do we find out more about Connie? You have a website, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. It's just Connie Podesta, P-O-D-E-S-T-A, www.conniepodesta.com, and just YouTube. I mean, I probably probably have 100 things on YouTube of every topic under the sun. Wow. Um, So that's a good resource. I love YouTube. For those of you like Chef that set goals and set a goal, okay, that you're going to go on a website and you're going to, you know, read some books and you're going to take care of yourself. For those of you like me, just write it on a post-it and stick it someplace. It'll You'll you'll lose it in the next 48 hours. We'll do it really quick because then the post-it's gone. So whatever you are, you know, just do what works for you. <laughs> and the books are on Amazon.com? They are, and they're on my website, too, even less. Um but life would be easy if it weren't for other people. It's a great book. My latest book is Redefining Happiness, and that's the one about trying to fight for happiness, fighting for it just like you would fight for anything else. Um, yeah, I've got tons of stuff, but, you know, it's not about selling my books. It's just about the message. So if you just want free stuff, just go on YouTube, and you can listen all day. There's there's tons of things on every subject imaginable, from parents to kids to health to wellness to work to leadership to sales. It's, it's all in there. It doesn't cost our audience a cent. Well, Connie, we appreciate you, and this is what Amazing Business Radio is all about because you've been amazing. You've shared some amazing information, and we just love that you did it. So thank you very much for, for sitting in and, and you know hanging out with me for this, uh, wow, almost an hour. Um, love that you are here and everybody listening please check Connie's videos out on YouTube go to her website read her articles lots of great information that we need in order to get on with our lives and get the most out of life I appreciate everybody listening this is Chef Hyken for Amazing Business Radio and remember as I always like to say you should always be amazing This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.